two passages uh, from scripture this morning, um, and I got one of them wrong when I told Donna what to put in the bulletin. Uh, the first passage is Exodus 19, not Exodus 3. We're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 19 um, and Second Peter, or sorry, First Peter chapter 2, um, and we're going to be looking at uh, this doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. Um, Exodus 19 is on page 116. And 1 Peter 2 is on page 1,888. And if you just want to turn to one of them instead of both of them, turn to the Second Peter passage, page 1,888. Um, we're going to be talking today about this doctrine called um, the priesthood of all believers. And um, it's a doctrine that comes from 1 Peter, uh, but 1 Peter quotes um, the Exodus passage. And so we're going to be reading both of those. Um, but before we read these passages, I'd like to share with you a little bit of the background as to why we're talking about this. Um, over the past year, uh, the council and the leaders of our church have been talking about a variety of different things, and uh, a lot of those are addressed in the newsletter. But um, the, the, the reason for this is because over the past year, our church has gone through a lot of different changes. Um, and so that's led to a variety of different conversations about how we structure leadership and how we do the work of the church in the world. Um, and so, for example, it's been five years since we implemented the community model of ministry, and so that's become an important part of our identity um, as we continue to learn how to live faithfully as God's people in our own communities, doing mentoring and pastoral care and fellowship uh, and Bible study and outreach um, in our local communities. Uh, last January, our church made a decision to move uh, from a staff model with a senior pastor, associate pastor, and a youth pastor to a team model. So now we have three pastors who together share the work of preaching and teaching and visiting um, and work separately in different areas on administrative tasks, working with committees and different volunteers to oversee the areas of worship and uh, faith formation and, uh, and congregational life. And so over the past year, we've had major conversations with the leaders in the church about mentoring, about community leadership, about youth ministry, about outreach, about church growth, about the building that we worship in, about staff evaluations, and about the nominations process for elders and deacons. And this last conversation about elders and deacons um, is what we're going to be focusing on this January. Um, over the past few months, the council, together with the community elders and the deacons, um, have been exploring what the nominations process uh, should look like in a community model of ministry. Um, and one of the things that they recommended was that we have a sermon series on what it means to be an elder or a deacon, what elders and deacons are and what they do in the life of the church and what, what it means that they're called to this office. Um, and so that's what we're going to be looking at this January, these two offices um, in our worship services and in our community care groups together. But to start us off, we wanted to look at this doctrine of the priesthood of all believers that comes from these two passages of 1 Peter 2 and Exodus 19. Um, and so as we turn to meditate on God's word, let's ask for his Holy Spirit to guide us. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the way that it nourishes us and feeds us, for the way that it transforms us and teaches us how it is that we ought to live. Lord, we pray that as we study this doctrine today of the priesthood of all believers, that you would send us your Holy Spirit to illuminate this teaching, to make it clear to us what it means. 
Lord, we pray that you will equip us by your Holy Spirit to be a kingdom of priests as you call us to be in your word. And we pray that you will help us to understand what that means. In the name of Jesus Christ, our high priest, we pray. Amen. So I'm going to read two passages, the first from Exodus 19, and then we'll turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. Exodus 19, starting at verse 1. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. And so Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud, so that the people will hear me speaking with you, and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And then if you'll turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. And you'll notice that Peter here picks up on a lot of the language that we just read from Exodus chapter 19. Peter writes, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. 
sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible uses many different metaphors when it talks about what it means to be the church in the world. When I was in seminary, I remember uh, one class where the, the professor gave us an exercise and he had each of us take out a piece of paper and said, write down as many metaphors that are used in the Bible that you can think of to, uh, to talk about the church, what it means to be the church. And it was really easy to come up with these things, that the church is God's covenant community, the church is the body of Christ, the church is the bride of Christ, the church is God's vineyard, the church is God's flock, the church is uh, God's family. And so there's all of these different um, biblical images that, that are used to, to help us understand what it means to be the church. Even if we were just to limit our search of biblical metaphors to this passage in 2 Peter chapter 2, we'd have a whole, a whole variety of images. The, the church is a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, the people of God. And all of that is just in eight verses. If you look at the rest of the book of 1 Peter, it has even more images to help us understand what it means to be the church. God's elect, scattered exiles, the community of the resurrection, God's obedient children, foreigners wandering on the earth, God's freed slaves, followers of Christ, children of Abraham, the ark of salvation, the suffering community, the Christian community, the witnesses of Christ, the flock of the Good Shepherd. And Peter uses all of these different images to help us understand what it means to be the church in the world. He uses all these concrete examples to help us make sense of what can sometimes be a kind of abstract idea. When, when we think about, you know, we are the people of God, that can be kind of a vague idea in our heads. But we think, when we think about being sheep in a flock, or being children in a family, or being stones that are part of the wall of a house. That, that helps us to, to make the idea of what it means to be the church more concrete. It helps us to, to sort of form a mental image about what it means to be God's people, how we can be the church. And the image that we're going to focus on today is this image of the church as a kingdom of priests which is used in verse 9. We, we have a royal priesthood, but that, that word royal is, is the same word in Greek as the word kingdom. That's, that's a, shared, a shared word. And Peter borrows this image from Exodus chapter 19. And there's some interesting reasons as to why he does this, why he goes back to, to the story of the Exodus um, in this passage. Exodus 19 happens right before God gives the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. In the story of the Exodus, God has just delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And here in Exodus 19, God reestablishes his covenant with his people. And Peter, writing to the Christian church scattered throughout the Roman Empire, recognizes that the church is in the same situation that the Israelites were in in Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus 19, God had just delivered his people from slavery in Egypt by displaying his power through the ten plagues. But in Peter's situation, in the situation of the church and in our situation, God had just delivered his people from slavery to sin by displaying his power through Christ's death and resurrection. In Exodus 19, the people of God were preparing for life in the promised land, and, and they needed to know how to live as God's holy people in a culture that was opposed to God. And in Peter's time and in our time, the church is preparing for life in the kingdom of God. And we need to know what, what, it, is, what it means to, to live 
uh, as God's holy people in a culture that is opposed to God. And so Peter picks up on this language from Exodus chapter 19, calling the covenant community of God's people a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. And this would have been a really concrete idea for the Israelites in Exodus 19 and to the Christians in Peter's day because uh, that, that was a, they, they were familiar with the work of priests because of the culture that they lived in. Um, but for us, maybe, you know, we don't, we don't really know what priests do. We don't really have priests, although the kids certainly know what priests do. They pray. And so, but maybe this needs a little bit more explanation. Um, and the thing is that in Old Testament Judaism, the priest had three basic functions. They were mediators who prayed for people. They were worship leaders who led God's people in worship. And they were ministers of the temple, ministers in the temple. And I think that these three responsibilities are key for us to understand what the Bible means when it calls us to be a kingdom of priests. We are mediators, we are worship leaders, and we are ministers. And the first of these two, I think, are pretty easy for us to understand. And they're vital for understanding our work as the people of God. A mediator is literally someone who stands in between. And so you think of like someone who mediates a conflict, right? Someone who stands in between two people who are in a conflict. That's, that's what a mediator does. A mediator facilitates communication between uh, different people. And this was an important role of the priest in the Old Testament. The priest in the Old Testament was to offer prayers and offerings to God on behalf of the people. The priests would pray in the temple for God to forgive sin, for God to heal illness and to cleanse impurity, for God to fight injustice and to guide the kings and the judges. The priest would offer sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. And a key part of the priest's duty was to pray for the people. And in this, he acted as a mediator between God and his people. And the second part of the priest's role was as a worship leader. Priests would memorize the entire book of Psalms, and they'd memorize the entire five books of the Law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, and they'd teach them to the people of God in, in, so that people would know how to worship God, so that they'd have the language to be able to worship God, and so that they'd know how they should live in order to worship God. The priest would lead the assembly of God's people in offering songs of praise and lament, songs of adoration and confession. And the psalms were, were a really important part of the, the worship life of Old Testament Israel. And so the priest would lead the people in the singing of psalms as part of their worship. And the priest would also teach the people what's written in God's law so that they could worship God through the way they lived, even when they weren't in the temple. So praise, confession, lament, and holy, holy living, all of these were part of the priest's role as a worship leader. And the third role that the priest played was as a minister in the temple. And this is an idea that I want to take a little bit of time to explain because I think this is a really cool image that we can kind of latch onto um, when we think about what it means for us to be a kingdom of priests. The priests were ministers of the temple in the sense that they were the caretakers of the temple. They oversaw its maintenance, they cared for the, the furniture in the temple, like the Ark of the Covenant and the table of showbread and the menorah and the, the different altars. Um, and they oversaw the, the religious feasts and the offerings that were part of regular temple life. When we talk about ministers, the, so the priests were ministers, when we talk about ministers in the church, it's really easy for us to think of pastors. Um, and and that's, I mean, that's a natural thing, right? Because we're called ministers, right? 
Um, but, but instead of imagining priests as pastors, I want to, to give us a little bit of a different image. Instead of imagining the, the ministering role of a priest as the role of a pastor, imagine priests as ministers like, like government officials. And that's easy for you guys to do in Canada because you, your government officials are actually called ministers. You have a prime minister and a minister of finance, a minister of health, a minister of justice. And these ministers are devoted to overseeing different aspects of the life of the country. And so the, the minister of finance oversees the economy, the minister of health oversees the healthcare system, the minister of justice oversees the, the, the court system and the justice system. So imagine Old Testament priests as ministers of faith, ministers of the religious life of the community. The, the, the Old Testament priests oversee the faith of the community. They take care of the holy objects, the, the temple and the things inside the temple and the scriptures. They preside over the holy rituals like the worship and the feasts and, and the offerings. And they oversee religious instruction, teaching the law to God's people and so, so imagine the priests then as ministers of faith. So when Exodus and, and Peter uh, use this image of the people of God as a kingdom of priests, they're using a, a, a really concrete image that helps to cement uh, a sort of understanding of what it means to be God's people. The way that the priests serve in the religious life of Israel is the way that the people of God should serve the world. That's, that's the way that God's people are supposed to serve the world. The role that the priests play in the life of Israel is the role that Israel is supposed to play in the life of the world. The role that priests play in the life of Israel is the role that we are to play in the life of the world. And so we are mediators who pray for the world. We stand in the space between God and the world, lifting up the needs of the world to God, praying to God for the salvation of the world. We are the worship leaders for the world, teaching the world the language of worship and the songs of worship and the ways that they can live lives of holiness that are pleasing to God. And we are ministers to the world, overseeing the faith of the world, the teachings and the celebrations and the offerings that invite people to a robust faith in God. And what Peter makes clear is that, well, and Exodus makes it clear too, is that all of God's people are called to this task. This is the responsibility of everyone who is a part of the covenant community, of everyone who follows Christ and is a part of the community established by his blood. And so we don't appoint priests or ministers to do this work for us. We all engage in this work, in prayer, in worship, in ministry, because this is what God calls us to do. We are all priests of God serving him on behalf of the world. And so these three things, prayer, worship, and ministry, these three things are, are a part of the calling of every Christian. Peter tells us that we are priests for the world. We pray for the world, we lead the world in worship, we minister to the world. And all of this is possible because we are part of a community that is established on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, that we are given life, we are given strength, we are given power through his life, death, and resurrection. And this image, the, the image of um, being a kingdom of priests, actually taps into to a really old biblical 
idea. The, and, and that's the image of the temple. And, and the, temple, the temple imagery in the Bible doesn't start when the temple's built. The Bible, in the Bible, the, the temple imagery is all the way back in the very beginning. All the way through the Bible, we see this image of God carving out this special place for himself, this, this sort of base of operations, and, and appointing people within that small space to, to spread his kingdom across the face of the earth. In the creation story, it's the Garden of Eden. God doesn't just put Adam and Eve on the earth to care for it and take care of it. God puts them in the garden to care for it and take care of it. And the idea is that from there, the mission of God moves across the rest of the earth. And so that's why we get like the ruling language in, in the creation story when God tells Adam and Eve to rule the earth and subdue it. That's a part of their priestly role, to minister to the earth. And this has been God's plan all along. He establishes Israel to be a kingdom of priests through which he will bless all nations. And through Jesus, he establishes the church as a continuation of that same mission, the mission of ministering on behalf of the world, the mission of blessing all nations and bringing them back to God. And this is where we get this idea of the priesthood of all believers. Because as Peter makes clear, this is the calling of all Christians. This is the purpose of the church, to be priests for the world, to pray for the world, to lead the world in worship, to minister to the world. And we all have different gifts that God gives us to build up the church. But for, but for all of us, the mission is the same. We are called by God to be priests for the world. The priesthood of all believers doesn't mean that we don't have leaders, of course. And we're going to be exploring God's instructions about what, what those roles are, what our leaders do, um, and, and how they're appointed and things like that by looking at what the Bible has to say about elders and deacons in the coming weeks. The priesthood of all believers doesn't mean that we don't have leaders, but it does mean that we all have a calling, even if we're never called to serve in an ordained position. Every one of us is a priest of the new covenant in Christ. All of us together, as the body of Christ, are a kingdom of priests, mediators who pray for the world, worship leaders who teach the world what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth, and ministers of faith who oversee and care for the world wherever God has placed us. And together, like living stones, God is building us up into a spiritual house where the world can come to meet the grace of God in the person of Jesus and the community established by his blood. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people say. O Lord our God and our King, we thank you that you have gifted us with what we need to be a kingdom of priests for you. We pray that you will equip us through your Holy Spirit to be mediators on behalf of the world to be worship leaders for the world, and to be ministers to the world. Lord, we pray that in all these things you would bless us so that your gospel may be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>